At this time, if you are between two years old and second grade, you have a choice. You can stay here and listen to me, or you can go with Micheline. The choice is yours. What will you choose? It looks like the majority are choosing Shalene. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> Man, I don't know if my confidence should be hurt by this or if Shalene is just that good of a teacher. But uh, welcome. It is a joy to see all these young people here at this church. It's just an indication of the life, the future that we have. Uh, what a blessing. And I do want to welcome the rest of you, those of you that stayed, (laughs) uh, to the Skillman Church of Christ. Uh, Thank you uh, for coming and worshiping with us today. Uh, We are right now in the middle of a series on parables. And parables are stories that Jesus told, heavenly stories, or earthly stories with heavenly truths, stories that Jesus used to share truths about the kingdom of heaven on earth. And anybody who is a parent has used this method of teaching. We love to use stories to explain certain things and truths. We love to, to, sometimes these stories are true, sometimes these stories are made up, but they're all for the point of teaching truths and education. In fact, uh, just a couple nights ago, as I was putting my kids to bed, I was reminded of a story. My kids, sometimes when they're in bed, kind of nice and tucked in, they ask for a story. And sometimes they ask for a made-up story. Sometimes they ask for a true story. This time they said, hey, Dad, tell us that story of that time you crashed on the bike in Lima. And it's one of the stories I hadn't thought about in a while, but I was like, man, that is a good story. It has a good message at the end to it as well. So I will tell that story tonight. Put your head on that pillow. Let me tell this story to you. So uh, as they were there on that bed, I began to tell the story that happened about five years ago while we were still living in the city of Lima, Peru. Uh, Lima is the capital city of of Peru. It's a metropolis of a city. Ten to twelve million people live in this. At that time, we lived in this apartment complex. And this apartment complex, at the very front of it, there was this park that was beautiful. A beautiful park with trees and pathways. And there was also a little jogging track that was around there. And so that night, as the sun was setting, we decided to take a family walk. And at that time, we just had three kids. Just three. And we thought it was crazy enough. (laughs) We had little, little Case, we had Kellen, and we had Parker. And so I decided, we had four kids? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm mistaken. <laughs> Disclaimer, we had, at that time we had four kids. We had four kids. That, no wonder my, my memory is jogged on this. Well, anyway, apparently we had so many kids that I had to put Parker on the front of my bike uh, to sit, because we were going around, and so she was sitting on the front of my bike And as we were coming back towards our house, it was a casual bike ride. She's sitting on the front. All of a sudden, this dog darts right in front of this bike, like out of nowhere, just right in front of it. I had no choice but to hit this dog. And when I hit this dog, of course, we went all flying forward. Parker, this kid, this baby, about three, four, five, six, I don't know how old you were, (laughs) She begins to be launched forward, and she hits the ground. I try to catch her, and I am 
just making sure she's okay and, and you know, making sure that she wasn't hurt because we didn't have helmets. And uh, as I'm just there, just at the adrenaline still high, the owner of this dog rushes over and she says, How dare you hit my dog? You could have hurt my dog. Well, Papa Bear, <laughs> the bear inside me rose when she started to complain about her dog. When my daughter had just been flung, you know, 10 feet in the air. And uh, thankfully she's okay, but I got up and I lost my cool. <laughs> I said, how dare you talk about your dog when my daughter almost got hurt very bad. Now here's the problem. This conversation was in Spanish. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when your brain feels stressed, sometimes it doesn't work quite right. And so I'm sure I, I was sounding very unintelligent with, <laughs> dog, my child hurt, you know. And I couldn't even think of the word for leash because we had, <laughs> we had a, a policy in our neighborhood where every dog had to be on a leash. And so I was like, you didn't have your dog on a leash. And I couldn't, I couldn't find the word in my brain for leash. Those of you who know Spanish, what is the word for dog leash? El Correa, that's right. But I was so flustered at the time, I said, you don't have El Leisho. <laughs> How embarrassing. El Leisho. I couldn't think of the word at the time. And uh, we had this confrontation. She felt like I was in the wrong, but this dog didn't have a leash, and it hit my, my bike. So I finished the story, and my kids are like, Dad, well, what's the message behind this story? It's like, kids, listen up. In this life, people are going to be stupid. There's going to be people that do stupid things around you. There's going to be people that irritate you. There's going to be people that, that make mistakes. Sometimes it's intentional. Sometimes it's not intentional. But there are things in life that are going to happen that irritate you. There are things in life, people in life, circumstances in life that are going to get under your skin. There are going to be times where you are hurt. There are going to be times where you are talked down to. This is the nature of life. This is life that we are living in community. All of us as humans are sharing this space. And inevitably there's going to be bumps. There's going to be bruises. There's going to be clashes between people. And it makes sense Looking at that story, how people in this life, it can be hard. Sometimes living in humanity can be hard. It can be a challenge. It makes sense, Peter's question in Matthew chapter 18. And if you have your Bibles today, Matthew chapter 18, uh, we're going to be turning it. We're doing this new thing where we're not using the PowerPoint for scriptures because we want you to touch and feel the pages of the text or your screen on the iPhone, whichever one you got. But we want you to experience the text. And so uh, if you could get your Bibles out and turn to Matthew chapter 18. If you uh, don't have a Bible, luckily we have Bibles that are in front of the pew. Uh, and you can use one of those. And this particular story is on page 1,527. That's 1,527, Matthew chapter 18. And it makes sense because Peter, I'm sure, just like us, has experienced the clashes of living in community. He's been hurt. He's been burnt. He has had somebody irk him or do something that challenges his patience. So he goes to Jesus in verse 21 
of chapter 18. And he asked, he says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? So this, again, we understand at the very core of what he is experiencing. It, it being human means that sometimes we will feel deep wounds. Being human means that sometimes we will be harmed, sometimes in great ways, sometimes in small ways, sometimes by people we don't even know, sometimes by the people that are closest to us. We feel sometimes the pain that, that Peter is evoking in this question. And I do think it is kind of humorous. He uses the word, the number seven. <laughs> like, seriously, seven times, that's, that's all we have to forgive people is seven times. But at the time, there were rabbis that were teaching in that day and age. They were teaching that the magic number of forgiveness was three. They were saying, well, three is the magic number that you have to adequately forgive somebody. And so Peter, in this question, he's actually trying to be a little bit generous. And in the Hebrew uh, literature and numerology, seven is a perfect number. And so he goes and says, Jesus is seven times, probably thinking he's looking good. Is seven times enough that I would forgive my brother or sister? But Jesus, in verse 22, answers, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Seventy-seven times. And again, this isn't a literal number, seventy-seven. If you were to look at the literal Greek word on this seventy-seven, it means gazillion. Gabajillion, whatever the biggest number you can think of, or infinity. It's next. This is a fun activity. Next time you're around a kid about four, three, four, five years old, you should ask them, "Hey, what is the biggest number in the entire world?" Whatever they say is what Jesus is talking about. There was a time when I was in college. I was dating Tara, and I was doing some work in the schools because uh, I was an ma education major. And I asked a kid one time, hey, tell me, what's the biggest number in the entire world? And this kid paused and thought about it. You could see the, the, the wheels turning in the brain. And this kid said, 120. It was right around the time that Tara and I were starting to date, and so it kind of became an inside joke because I would say, I love you, 120. <laughs> and no one really knew what that meant, but really it was what Jesus was saying. It's a gazillion, the biggest number you can possibly imagine, that forgiveness is infinite. Forgiveness does not have bounds. Forgiveness, Jesus calls us to forgive 120 times. So then, to illustrate this point, Jesus tells his own story, the parable of the unforgiving servant. So we'll pick up in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And in some of your versions, my version says 10,000 bags of gold. But what is your, anybody have a different translation to that? How many talents? 10,000. Some, some versions, the little, the little Greek word is 10,000 talents. 
10,000 talents. So this guy, this servant, has a debt to this king of 10,000 talents. And the key to understanding the meaning of this particular parable, the key is to understand the magnitude of this debt. The magnitude. Because we hear in 2019 in Dallas, 10,000 talents. And it, it means nothing to us because it's a different time, a different currency, a different place. And it's, it's always hard to really deter, to describe in an accurate way currency when it comes to diff, the, the, uh, the equal weight of currency. But let's look at it this way. That in this day and age, that when Jesus was telling this parable, a typical laborer, an average worker, would make one talent to a talent and a half a year. One talent to a talent and a half a year. So this is 10,000 of that number. 10,000 years, basically, of, of wage. Uh, and so taking it into today's terms, let's say that we say the average salary in the United States is like $30,000. I think it's a low number, but we'll, just, we'll go with that. $30,000. 30,000 times 10,000. Anybody good with math out there? <laughs> how do you have, for those that are not, how to use a calculator for it? But that is $300 million. $300 million. This is not a small debt. This is huge. And I think it's a little bit, the word servant here is misleading. Because this isn't just like the servant that's like washing the dishes. <laughs> Or this isn't the one that makes the bed in the morning or is sweeping the floor. This servant obviously is a ruler of a different, a different area, as a governor. This is a big-time person, someone who would take out a loan of $300 million. That's a lot. That's a lot of money here to see the magnitude. Uh, and either by, I don't know how this was, was lost, either by gross mismanagement or he squandered the wealth, but somehow, some way, he has lost his $300 million. In verse 26, it says that this servant begs. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. And patient, that's a word that we use, but there's different translation, which I think I like better, is long-suffering. It's, it's a compound word in Greek, and here, uh, patient, adequately described, but long-suffering is another way to say that. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. In verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. What in the world? 300 million? Forgotten. Forgotten. But then things turn in verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him, began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And at that time, this is less, and equivalently, taking that same formula, this is less than a hundred dollars. So you have 300 million, then we have less than a hundred dollars. It's just petty cash. And he says, pay it back, chokes him. What imagery that Jesus uses, choking this man. Verse 29, his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me. Same word as earlier. And I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. 
When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then, in verse 32, then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, because he found out what happened. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Wow, what a happy ending to this fairy tale. (laughs) Here we have this servant in a prison being tortured. And I think in this particular story in Matthew, as, as Matthew often does, I think Matthew is telling a story of Jesus that depicts reality. It's not necessarily a, a foreshadowing of, of, of a warning, of, of a fear-based message, but it's almost like this is what will happen if you don't forgive. If you don't forgive, if you don't let go of the bitterness that's within you, If you hold grudges, you will forever, until, for as long as you have that in, you will be tortured. You will have that inner struggle in your heart, and you will not be free. Stating a truth here, that forgiveness sets us free. I've heard it said, and we're going to have this quote a little bit later, but forgiveness Forgiveness is setting somebody free. Only to realize that that person is yourself. Forgiveness is so important. Forgiveness, and that's, that's why we are here. To, and this, that's why the story is in Scripture, because of the powerful message behind it. So, what is it? What is a forgiving spirit? What does it look like? Well, I think this parable gives us a pretty clear example of what a forgiving spirit looks like. In verse 27, it shares exactly what this king, what this, what this master did. If you look there, there's three things. And uh, it says here that number one, the servant master took pity on him. Number two, he canceled the debt. And number three, he let him go took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. And this is true for not only big things, but the small, everyday uh, nuisances that we experience. We have an opportunity to do these same things, to take pity, to cancel the debt, and let let that person go. So let's explore these a little bit further, in a little bit different order. Let's look at the first. Step one, canceling the debt. What does this mean? What does this look like? Well, canceling the debt means refusing revenge. It means that you do not make the other person pay the debt of emotional pain, but you pay the debt yourself. You see, in life, when you have been wronged, when you have been hurt, when, you have, when someone has done something to you, there is naturally an emotional debt that forms. There's a hole there is a, a crevice. I, I honestly spent hours trying to think of a good analogy of this particular, this particular point. And I think I have one. <laughs> it may not be the best, but this is my analogy. I, it, it took me hours to think of this one. 
Imagine you were driving your car down the road and somebody zooms past as fast as they can and their tires are going so fast they pick up this rock and the rock comes and it shatters a, a, a dent in your windshield. There, there, here you have a choice because you, now you have a crack in your windshield and you have to do something about it. When you have been harmed, when you have been hurt, if you do nothing about it, if you do nothing and just let it stir, if you let it just meddle in your heart, just like that windshield, that crack will grow and it will grow and it will grow and eventually you might need a new windshield. So now you have to do something about this crack. You have to do something. So what do you do? Well, you could take revenge on this person. You could go and you could take, drive fast as you can. You could get a pile of rocks. And as that person's driving by, you could throw it at that guy's windshield. That's, that's the solution, right? You could do that, take revenge. And oftentimes, when we are hurt, that is our response. We want to get revenge on that person. We want to get them back. We want them to feel the same pain that we feel. Well, let me tell you this. That is a myth. The myth of redemptive violence. There's no such thing of being able to have justice through revenge. It will only leave you hungry. So there has to be another way for you to get your windshield clean, for you to solve that debt. Well, this is what Jesus is saying in the story, that we don't blame, we don't take revenge, but we do the inner work ourselves to be free from this debt. We do the time, we do the prayers, we do the hard work internally to remove that debt and to forgive that person. Whether that's a father, a mother, a boss, someone close to you, someone who you've never met, we don't expect that person to cover that debt for us that this story is is that we do the hard work ourselves in reconciling that it takes work it takes discipline because every time you want to take revenge and you don't it hurts every time you want to be nasty but you choose to be kind it hurts but in doing so that discipline we are becoming free from that that debt and free from the chains that we have from that person that may have hurt us. Step two is this master took pity. So number one, cancel the debt. Refuse revenge. You do not make the other person pay the debt of emotional pain, but you pay the debt yourself. Before I move on, one disclaimer. If, if someone has done something wrong to you or legal action is needed, <laughs> go ahead and do that. <laughs> You can use the law if that, if that is, of, of course, needed. Uh, and if there is justice in the law court system, of course, go ahead and do that. But this is small things. These are things that are internal, things where no laws have been broken. But we have the responsibility as Christians, and this story gives us the, the, the platform of doing that hard work of reconciliation and forgiveness ourselves. Number two, take pity. Now, I think this is a terrible translation for a fantastic Greek word, pity is pitiful word. The real word for this is compassion moved from the bowels of your body. The Greek word is splachnizomai. Can you say splachnizomai? One more time, splachnizomai. 
Not everybody's saying that word, but it's okay, because it's fun to say, but that really truly means being moved with compassion from the inner bowels of your body. And this is Jesus' word. This word is always used when referring to Jesus, looking upon people. It's always used by Jesus. This, if there was a coin phrase that Jesus would have, it would be splachnizomai. <laughs> being moved with compassion. So this master, this is the Greek word that's used in the story. This master sees the servant and has pity. So what does this mean? This means to, be, to, uh, to stress the commonalities with a person instead of the differences. A couple years ago here in Dallas, I think it was 2016, there was that shooting that happened um, with a police officer that passed away. And uh, I remember I was in Peru at the time, and I remember looking at the news. And uh, George Bush, George W. Bush, came and spoke at this memorial service for the police officer. And when he was there, uh, he said a quote at this particular memorial service that I think really hits the nail on the head of what this looks like. He said, uh, too often we judge others. Uh, by their worst examples, while judging ourselves by our best intentions. You see, human nature, oftentimes, when we feel wrong, when we feel hurt, we often stress the differences of the other person. But what this is calling us to do is to, to look for the similarities, that the same God in me is the same God that is working in that person's life. And this particular step puts us in a position where we are not taking it personal. Because hurt people hurt people. And oftentimes when we have been hurt, when we've been wronged, it's not about us. But it's about something in their life that they are taking upon, they are taking it out on us, we, an innocent victim. And so putting ourselves as best we can in their shoes, trying our hardest to view them with compassion or pity. That's the second one. And the last one is to let it go. Let it go. Who here knows Beyonce? <laughs> Ryan, you know, you know about Beyonce? A little bit? Now, Beyonce has a fantastic quote. Forgiveness is me giving up my right to hurt you for hurting me. Forgiveness is me giving up my right to hurt you for hurting me. This is the third step. We let them go. We let it go. The first two are internal works. But the third is that setting free. We do the hard work of paying off that debt. And then we have that compassion. We're seeing that person through the eyes of compassion. And then we set them free. We let it go. And as I said earlier, the crazy thing about forgiveness is that for forgiveness, we are setting someone free. But ultimately, that person is ourself. So the last point today is, well, how do we do that, right? I've given you three things. <laughs> yeah, cancel the debt, take pity, have compassion, set them free. Yeah, go ahead and do that right now. Well, well how, how do we do it? How do we do it? Well, that's the whole point of the parable. The whole point of the parable is to illustrate that we have been forgiven. All of us have been forgiven imagine all the things that you have done in your life that you are not proud of, the thoughts, the things that you've done, the white lies, 
everything that you have done. And this parable says that even though you have done that, God looks at you. God, the master, looks at you, has compassion on you, and has said, you are free. I love all of you, all of you. Every single part of you I love. That is what this parable is saying. And then out of that gratitude, out of that, out of that compassion, out of that understanding, that understanding that we have all been forgiven, then we can extend that upon the other person. We have that message here and now that because of God, because of God's love for us, we can do the same for the other person. That ruler canceled the debt, had compassion, and let that person go. And God does the same for us. He cancels this debt. He has compassion upon us, and he lets us be free. And we, in turn, out of gratitude, can do the same. But my friends, this takes work. It takes a, a high level of spiritual maturity. But that's, that's why we're here right, right now, because we want to do this. We want to be people who are forgiving, who are truly, truly free. If you need prayers in this pursuit, that is why we are here. If you need a community to help you, a hold of you accountable, that's why we are here. Each Sunday we offer an invitation. An invitation for those, and this is the invitation today, for you to become a forgiving person. For you to have that person in your life who has irked you, who has hurt you, who is getting on your nerves, who has somehow put that <laughs> the emotion and allowed you to lose your cool. Now, here and now, this is the place where we wrestle with this and we make a commitment together to forgive and to move on, to let that person go. You know that person that hit my bike? Well, the, the dog hit my bike? We had this big argument. And I got back to my apartment and I was just angry. And uh, I knew that I would not be at peace unless I had reconciliation. Because it would just have been really awkward <laughs> if I would just have to walk past her all the days and, and I, I, you know, trying to live the embarrassment of not knowing how to say leash in Spanish. We ended up having a conversation later that night where we both asked for forgiveness. She asked me for forgiveness and how she responded. And I asked her for forgiveness. And you know what happened? We, are, we were free. Jesus knows what he's talking about. Freedom is there. Forgiveness is a pathway. If you need questions about baptism, if you need prayers, the elders will be on the side. Why don't you come while together we stand and we sing?